Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I have one of my favorite humans on today to tell you about an amazing product that we both love. Well, thank you, honey. This is Milkman Mark Hyman here telling you about the Almond Cow, which I saw on those Instagram posts, and I thought, we've got to have one of these and see whether it is actually as good as it looks. And it is. It's actually even better because there are things that you can make out of it. Almond milk, oat milk, Cashew milk. Uh, coconut milk. Anything you want, you can make in this. And what's great is you have, there are fewer preservatives, less sugar, and then what you get left over at the end is this pulp that you can make into, can make cookies or muffins, so nothing goes to waste. And it's there any time, so if you run out of milk, you don't have to run to the store. It is so amazing. We love it, love it, love it. So if you want to get your own, check out the link and use code Lara for extra savings. Approved by the Milkman. Good movement, and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A where you all ask the questions and we answer, we as in me and KB, Kristen Williams, my favorite physical therapist, lit Senior teacher extraordinaire. Woo! Here I am. Hi, Laura. Hi, everybody. Hey, hey, it's coffee time, coffee talk, podcast talk. Early, I got my tea. Yeah. Okay, so this is from one of our teachers, but I think this is really applicable to teachers, but also practitioners. So I think it's a great topic. This is from Julie in Denmark. She says, Dear Laura, I'm on maternity leave from teaching right now, and some of my quiet time I spend evaluating my teaching classes, etc. I've been journaling about my strengths in teaching, but also my weaknesses, how I experience them. One of the things I really want to work on is not being such a perfectionist with my students. Sometimes I have a hard time keeping the flow in the class because I want everything to get it just right and really feel it. I can sense that some really thrive with it, but others get bored and lose interest. What is yours and Kristen's advice on how to balance the two, helping students but also keeping a good flow. What a great question, again, as a teacher, but also just in life, I think, as a practitioner, as a, as a parent. <laughs> I mean, a, you know, just insert. So yeah. you want to start off? Sure. Yeah, I'll start off on the teacher, you know, aspect of that because I definitely, I understand what she's feeling. Um, for people who either don't practice lit and just listen to our podcast, um, you know, when we create a flow in lit, it's choreographed from beginning to end. 
And that is a big challenge for a teacher. And for me, I change my flow every day I teach. Lara's the same way. Some people will choose to do a flow and teach it for a straight week so they get really comfortable with it. Regardless, there is no willy-nilly. There, you really, we are, we have planned this out. We follow a blueprint, It's which makes it fun and exciting. Um, that being said, it's very stressful for a teacher that's new to lit. And we can be in both on the, on the lit mat as a teacher or a student and in life, our own worst critics. And so what I have found is the more fun people see me having, the more fun they have. And that is gonna be in two ways. I'm the first person, whenever I goof up, I laugh at myself and I make a joke of it. And I, I mean, I just am like, geez, where's my brain? And then ha ha ha, everybody laughs. And, and also to be honest, people are like, oh, she is human, you know? because we're it, everyone can relate to that so i think developing that ability to just kind of laugh at yourself and let it roll off your shoulders yeah maybe when that happens and i'm filming i'm like god dang it but then i think to myself you know what good people are seeing that i'm a human being and i make mistakes now on the other end of that spectrum what we see with our new teachers is they're so gung-ho about teaching the importance of a neutral pelvis, the importance of safe yoga, smart yoga, that they can lose the flow and they talk, 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 talk. They over cue. And that will be when you start to see your student get bored, it might be that you're talking too much and you don't need to cue every single thing. You don't need to, as they say, beat the dead horse because we are still we need to remember that we are guides. You know, we are providing uh, a, a blue mark for people to follow, but we're also, this is the business of customer service. This, this is the business of entertainment, I would argue too. And so we are performing. We, we are, we want people to feel good. We want people to enjoy themselves. Yes, we care about how they're doing it, but I do think there's a balance. And Julie, that does come with experience. The more I taught, the more I goofed up, the better I got. And I also chose to, like my playlists, I make them fun so I can enjoy that little background music going on in my head. Sometimes I'll sing, sometimes I'll break out, you know, into dance. Laura, you're the same way. We used to have a blast in studio. We would stop. We would throw the plan out the window and just dance around for 30 seconds because we felt that, that joy that just was happening in the room. And then we got back on track. So I want you to think of the blueprint as a guide. I want you to think of your teaching as a guide. And then as on the mat, when whether you're practicing or teaching and in life, you know, it is so hard to let go of perfectionism. Um, it is so hard to people feel that imposter syndrome where they think they have to be like Lara. They think they have to be like me. They think they have to sound like a physical therapist. Be yourself. Uh, people will recognize that. And I love watching the differences when because we watch a lot of videos that come in. People have to do a, a flow and send us their videos. And it's really neat to see people's personalities come out. And the ones that we enjoy, or at least I enjoy the most, 
are the ones who do mess up and can just let that go. And I comment, great job of just flipping the script, letting it go, rolling off your shoulders. Because really at the end of the day, I think Mark Hyman, your husband said this to me once, Kristen, it's just yoga. And I was like, you're right. It's really, it's just yoga. This is not rocket science or this is not brain surgery. This is yoga. So I I hope that's my, what I do. Laura, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. I mean, just to piggyback off that idea of perfectionism and also probably with all this just wonderful intention of bringing everything to your students and then seeing little things that they're doing that you want to kind of correct. That's the other thing I would see a lot in new teachers. They'd be like, Laura, I go in there and I want to fix this and fix this. And I'm like, we're not fixing anything. What we're trying to do is impart information, education, so that a person can walk away and at least have taken one thing in. Like, they're not going to take in everything. There's just no way. If, but if we, that's why we have a theme. That's why we, we speak to the theme. And to Kristen's point, have fun with it. People are going to learn when they're enjoying it. And so maybe maybe you're saying too much. Maybe you're not saying the most impactful things. Like, um, so just kind of observe that, but don't be hard on yourself because this is you're you, this is all coming from a place of like really heartfelt desire to be your best and to serve in the best way. And there is no perfect. There is no perfect. And isn't that wonderful? It's just like showing up and offering the class that you're offering, making adjustments if needed, messing up if that happens, and being okay with it. Nobody is going to not come back because you messed up. Um, so just, I think, yeah, have more play. And the education will land. And it doesn't. All, it's never going to all land at once. They're never going to get the alignment in every single pose all the time. That's, that's not the goal. It's, it's to absorb some of it to then bring more each and every time and also to bring it into the, their lives. So I, um, I just echo Kristen in that you just have fun. And I know this is hard for, for those of you who are wired. Uh, I have, we both have children that are perfectionist. Um, and it's, it's a hard term. I don't even like the term because it already means you're failing, right? You're Because you're searching for something that doesn't exist. So I think for those of you, I am not wired in that way. I definitely have a hard like work ethic and all that, but I'm just not, I, I from the very beginning of my life, I wasn't wired that way. If you're wired that way, I think it is super important to realize like, uh, let things go and then just breathe and, and everything will be fine. And this will help you in parenting. This will help you in teaching. This will help you in just partnering with people because perfectionists are going to be hard on yourself, but you're going to be hard on other people. And that's Mm -hmm. not going to be good for anybody because nobody's going to be happy, right? So it's like uh, we're humans. We're going to just try and show up. And you're already doing that with your heart and your intentions. So be softest on yourself because the way you really, really, the way you speak to yourself is, is the most important because that's going to come across in your interactions with others as well. Because there's two people, and if you're hard on yourself, that energy is going out as well. And I mean, I will say, Laura, I mean, you are one person who did teach me that. And you didn't even know this. I've never even really told you this. But I have, I've known Laura for many years, and I've been a, a mentee of hers. You know, she's been my role model, my, my boss, 
you know, the head of a studio and watching you laugh things off. And when something didn't land, not affect you really resonated with me. So find those people in your life that you can see who are doing great things, who are really still on a pillar. And yet like you just have such a graceful way of saying, oops, and then going on with life. And so, you know, I always try to learn from people. I like to learn from hardships, but I also like to model after people that I think are living in a more healthy manner. So I just let you know that you, Aww. I've learned a lot from you in that. Thank aspect. you, honey. Thank you so much. Oh. That I feel it. That's um, true. Yeah. Well, thank you. All right. All right. Next All right. question. I know. Julie, All we're right. pulling for you. You know that. You've got a girl. Absolutely. All right. So our next question is from another one of our teachers, Chris. Um, the great Guzman is his, well, I just gave away his Instagram handle, but that's fine. If we do it on that <laughs> show, he says uh, he's an amazing practitioner. He practices with us live on Lit Prime. We just love him to pieces. Um, he says, hi, Laura and Kristen, love the podcast and appreciate the depth and quality of information that is shared with the listeners. To my question, I love doing handstands and various other primal movements involving weight bearing through the wrist. While not a debilitating injury, I have noticed pain in my ulnar side wrist on both sides when taking my wrist through a supination motion. So if people don't know what supination is, it's when you turn your palm to face up. Um, he says, my research indicates that this may be an injury to the triangular fibrocartilage complex. The TFCC is what we call that. A common injury that gymnasts and calisthenic practitioners experience. Do either of you have experience treating this type of injury? What would you recommend I start doing to improve this? I look forward to your response. Do you want to start that one? Yes. Um, so whether it's that or something else, I think what knowing that you're so strong, and so let's just assume for anybody that might have any kind of pain on that side, on the on, on the pinky side, and then we could talk about the thumb side, but um, either one of them I think comes down to wrist mobility. Um, and because in handstands, in plank, um, but definitely in handstands even more than plank, there's a lot of wrist extension required. And you have some jacked forearms and arm and the rest of your arms. And so my first instinct would be that you need to really work on wrist mobility. And that could be in the form of some of the gapping, some of the, like a lot of wrist extension, doing one finger at a time, doing the entire hand together. I'm showing this on the podcast, so you can always check us out on YouTube. Um, doing the elbow bents, you're getting into the very deep part of the uh, wrist flexors. And and doing it during the day, too. Like, you, I know that you commute, and I'm sure you're on the computer some, but really continuing that wrist mobility during the day and doing it some when you are in that supinated position. So in other words, flipping and then trying to weight bear, which is really challenging, and I'm not saying you're gonna go to 90 or beyond, but trying to get the metacarpal heads down. So for anybody who's thinking about this, if you were on all fours, like in quadruped, you would turn your fingers to face your knees 
and then try and get the at least the metacarpals, which are the kind of the reverse side of the knuckles, on the floor. Maybe not the wrist. Um, and if you get the heel of the hand uh, through the wrist joint, make sure that you're not locking out the elbow so that you can really isolate it more into the wrist. But I would do a lot of wrist mobilizations. Um, you know, getting into using your own fingers, getting into there's all these, you know, these amazing little carpal bones here and just trying to move them a little bit and also glide them um, away from the arm. So just some mobility there because, yeah, if the cartilage is getting compressed in any way, the reason it's getting compressed is there's some something that is getting squished, right? And that will happen when your mobility is not as sufficient as it needs to be for the demands that you're putting on it. You're doing a lot of handstands and all that. I mean, the gymnast, and I know KB can speak of this, she's got a daughter who does tumbling. Has They really have to work on that because everything else pretty much in life is in wrist flexion. And you, you really have to work on good wrist mobility and then strength in that range. So it's a combination as well. Maybe you don't have as much range and then you also have to get the strength in that range. Yeah, I'll piggyback onto that. I agree with everything you've said, um, that that wrist extension is, it's intense. And we're weight-bearing through a wrist that, quite frankly, I mean, we are bipeds, meaning we're supposed to walk on our feet. We love getting on our hands. There's so many benefits to it. But a lot of people, when they come into lit yoga or come into that primal flow, they love it so much that you go from, like you said, Laura, we spend all day in flexion or neutral at most, and then suddenly we're going to this hyperextension. Now, knowing Chris and watching him practice at least once a week, usually, he's a lot like me where um, he doesn't have the great, because he's, I think, so muscular, like you pointed out, he's jacked. Um, when he's in a handstand, he is more, it's an extra, it's hyper extended at the wrist because I think there's a lack of that full shoulder flexion too. I agree. Cause I, yeah. And this is the whole, like getting back into lifting with a protracted scapula, mm -hmm. you limit, if you start off protracted and then you get up, you've, you've kind of almost limited some of that upward rotation, which is important for flexion. And that is, that is his tendency is to get a little protracted chest involved a lot of yeah, people do yeah. that yeah go ahead I'm, I'm the same way and so yeah. i will you know if you look at me from the side in a handstand a lot of times i am i'm not in full if you watch me i'm not in full because i'm looking at my hands and then my butts to get my butt over my wrists i have to come forward on my wrist and so that's when i will injure my shoulders so you're experienced enough, Chris, that I think you could do what I like to do. Whenever it's my playtime, I will practice getting on my hands and then I call it dropping my chest, but it's this idea of taking my chest, which I know is not perpendicular to the floor and dropping it back to try to get it perpendicular to the floor. Cause I do have the shoulder range and I think you do too, Chris. We both of us we have tight low backs. You know, I'm I'm muscular for a girl, um, so and I'm a runner. I have the tight low back. I'm fighting soft tissue tension in my back, which is gonna when you go up into that full shoulder flexion. Where is it gonna go? It's gonna go into my wrist because I'm not getting that stack. If I was in full shoulder flexion and then really set into my scapulae. 
my wrist would just be really in 90 degrees of extension. Mine is always going too far because I'm not getting totally vertical. And so I play around and I, and it's hard. It's very weird to go into that end range because it's, I'm not used to it. So here experienced that he's experienced enough to where he could, when he gets up there, I can picture him. He's so much like me. He's in that piked position that the, the pelvis is forward, you know, work on pulling your pelvis back, extending your hips and flexing at your shoulder to where your chest now I almost think of it like I always think of a Superman like heart mm -hmm. so I'm like shining my badge towards the wall behind me versus down towards the floor, which is my comfort position. I would be interested to see how that feels in your wrist. I certainly know when I focus more on my scapula, when I focus more on getting better position there, my wrists do better. So um it might work for you there as well. Yeah, it's not quite analogous, but it's kind of analogous if your 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 ribs are your ribs are like your pelvis. If you're anteriorly tilted in your pelvis, you're not going to get good hip flexion, right? And so it's similar if you're not, if you if you're flick, kind of not getting that rib the rib cage back and and the chest open enough you're gonna put more pressure, you're not getting enough shoulder flexion, like you were mentioning, like true shoulder flexion, and the wrists have to compensate. So I, I think that's a brilliant assessment um, that, and, and that this is where I would say practicing on a wall could be really helpful. We know you can freestand, so that's like, I don't, I don't like people to practice on the wall regularly because then they get used to the wall, but Chris can freestand. So getting on the wall and getting like way up against the wall, like where your entire body is on the wall and, and really work that extension of your thorax, that's going to be, yeah, great for you. Humbling too. It's very humbling when, cause you're rock steady in that you know, sub full shoulder. I mean, I'm like, a, yeah. I can hang out there and then I go to that and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> because yeah. it's new and different. So my whole body just is going, what? And but that's why, yeah, that's why timed handstands are really telling. So I bet if, if some, like maybe Chris try like a minute, like don't try a minute, 30 seconds to a minute. Where do you fatigue first? Is it your wrist? Is it your hip flexors? You know, um, for me, it's my it's my scapula muscles. That's what starts to fatigue. So that's when I know I am really stacked. I might sway a little bit, but I'm my wrists don't bother me at all. My low back doesn't bother me, but boy, was I am burning in my scapula because they are just like holding to stabilize yeah. in that upperly rotated position. So that would be another way to do it is just time yourself. Where do you fatigue? Do you feel it in your wrist? Do you feel it in your back? Uh, do you feel it in your neck? Maybe you'll also feel it in your scapula. I'm not saying, but I think the first thing that kind of zings out is the area that's really getting soaked. Yeah. Okay, good question. Handstands all around. Handstands, we love them because they really, they are a truth teller. They really, really tell you where your imbalances are. And that's great because then you can work on them. Uh, last question. This comes from Instagram, Sun and Salads. She loves our podcast. She heard the mention of a multifidus in a recent Redefining Yoga podcast. Why, long why, had I never heard that word through decades of back care? Would you be willing to discuss or demo exercises focusing on multifidus? So I told her I would do some in my on my Instagram page, but I thought it would be like if she hasn't heard of it, 
Let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the Metivitis. Uh, do you want to yeah. go no, in first? It is, fu- it is funny. You don't hear about it. Now, in physical Mm-mm. therapy, we all know about it. Physical oh, yeah. therapy, it's just, it's what it is, is it's a very deep lumbar stabilizer. And I've always thought of the, the Metivitis as a braid because mm-hmm. it, it lies right up against the bone. And so if you can imagine this, this like a Tootsie roll of a muscle going from one vertebra to the next, and then they just braid up the back. And so they are deep, deep, deep. And they're, they're posture muscles, they're stabilizers. They're, they're not our big erector spinae that are there to move us per se. Um, and in a lot of people, they're, they're shut off, especially after you've had a back injury, those guys go to sleep. And so now you've lost that posture and that's, that's that anything that's closer to center, closer to your body. Those are your posture muscles. The ones that are more superficial, those are your movers. And so when the ones that are close to the body go to sleep, we start overutilizing the movers and then they become, it's kind of this snowball effect. And so that being said, as with, we were talking about this in one of our calls last night, it is very hard to isolate any muscle. Um, and and I hesitate to ever say we're isolating the multifidus when we do this. You know, I do think that we can do certain movements to bias those deep stabilizers. But, um, you know, it it is an interesting conundrum that I think we find ourselves in when someone after they've had a back injury uh, and even before you know sometimes just it's poor posture or we have you know suboptimal postures put that way and and those those muscles are just never challenged so they just sort of forget how to work um getting them to reboot sometimes requires shutting off or um Dialing down the erector. Dialing down the erector, you know, yeah, dialing down those movers, kind of getting them to to stop trying to help out because our, our body is so good at adapting. It's, it's, it's an amazing machine. Um, And that is how I think of my body. I think of it as a car. I need to do the work to take care of it. I need to keep everything balanced, the tire pressure, the oil changed. The same thing is true in our body. And so the multifidi, because they're so deep and they braid up the back, and there are posture muscles. A lot of times they are, they are asleep and, um, you know, getting them to fire is a challenge. It's a fun challenge. You know, some of the things that we'll do, you know, um, just even being in quadruped and hovering one knee, because while they're, you know, mainly for posture, there is some rotational component to them. You can kind of hover a knee and you're actually once you fatigue some of the more extensors, you're going to start kicking those guys on. We do the same thing with the rotator cuff. We try to shut off the upper trap. Sometimes it gets, gets a busy body with a, with a shoulder injury. And so we have to shut it off to get that supraspinatus to work. You know, so, you know, working on quadruped, like hovering a knee, sort of like, or even like our hovering quadruped that we'll do is a, is, can be a way to get into that, but keeping the pelvis neutral. What other things do you have? You know, what did you put on your um, on Instagram? I would love. Well, to I haven't done it, but um, I will. Uh, okay. So yeah. I agree with you. I agree that it's we don't isolate it, but we, like you said, we bias it, and the way we can bias it. So, for people that have, so I'll just give an example of several people in this camp. But I remember 
you know, one of my clients, 28 years old, like severe back pain, triathlete. Okay. So that tells you like what it, why he was so anteriorly tilted. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, it was just, it was so locked into that all of his Look, to Kristen, all the erector, which are the movers that, that do keep your spine erect, but they're very superficial. Like you can see them pop out. His were just, I mean, they were like two rods. So I had to, I had to get him in a position that would actually put them on a tiny bit of stretch almost just to completely dial them down. So lying on the ground on a bolster underneath, like underneath his uh, torso and like his, I think his head was, his chin was on it. So because, you know, those erectors go all the way up. So just trying to get it dialed down. And then for him, I just said, try it. You're not going to move, but try, start to engage the front of your body. So your abdominals, you think, but guess what? The multifidus are deep within there as well. They're, they're basically kind of almost like your posterior abdominals in a way. Like just pull that in so that you are getting your spine neutral and stabilizing from the front. And then over and over cueing that. So in quadruped, where that, you know, once we kind of started to dial the erector down a little bit, in quadruped, can you, re- can you remember that feeling? So the bolster, like pretend the bolster is there and giving you this expansiveness in the back and just hold. Yes. And then to Kristen's point, can you then move an arm or leg? Because the motivitis, their responsibility is to be anticipatory. Yes, if you're watching on YouTube, she's showing us the multifid, the multifidized or the plural version. Um, they are they're they're anticipatory of movement. So that means in a microsecond before an arm moves, your multifidized stabilizing your spine against that movement. But if they're kind of dialed down, that's when you move the ribs a lot. Uh, you might move your pelvis, and then your back, your you know, erector and other back muscles are are trying to stabilize, and they're not very effective at it because they're not right next to the bone. So you just translate that in any way. You can be in prone without the bolster underneath and work on lifting a leg or lifting an arm, and not having the comp- like any shift of your pelvis. So we do locus, for example. People, like if I had done that right away with this guy, he would have just jacked up in the erector spinae. So I would put something underneath there and really tell him to not, you know, to first tone his abdominals because he needs some of that anterior support and then lift maybe just an arm or two arms but or maybe just his hands but underneath his forehead and, and try and just lift a little bit. All of that is going to engage those. It will engage other back muscles too. Again, these are not isolated, but it's it's we want them to be dialed in to support because they – are so important for posture, for, for functional movement. Once we get any type of gravitational forces on our spine, we want to be able to hold our spine in a, in a very steady, uh, neutral state that's sturdy so that we're not having one segment be succumbing to gravity. So, yeah, there's more to say about that, but those are great examples. And yeah. it's just like usually it's less is more. Can you not move your pelvis and stabilize, just try and stabilize the spine. So that could be on your back, on your stomach, in quadruped. And then of course, once you get it to plank, you, you're hoping that's really working because again, you've got full gravity on there and you need the under part, the abdominals and the multifidus to stabilize the spine. So it doesn't, you know, succumb to gravity. Yeah. And no, I think your point of really getting those erector to release 
And that is getting um, out of that anterior tilt, you know, getting Oh into, my gosh. Getting, For him, you know, it was just keeping yeah. that neutral while you, you know, do those micro movements, you know, that's how you're gonna because the erector is gonna want to do the big movement. And if you can keep that while you set moving an arm, moving a leg, same thing I said, quadruped, just that little bit of hover, you know, the erectors aren't gonna do that because it's just gonna come. It's so micro and it's pretty yes, they're going to be working, but you can bias. Um, so good luck with that. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, we need to bring more attention to these guys. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Uh, cool muscles. We'll tip yeah. a die on the, on the fly. All right, everybody. Well, we covered a lot as always. We love hearing from you. Please send us your questions, um, on Instagram. Like I've gotten so many Laura.hyman or KB Williams 99, or you can email us at support at lityoga.com. That will be forwarded to us. And that's how we get a lot of other questions. So also don't forget to rate and review. We love to get that feedback from you all. And so please subscribe and share with your friends. Um, if, if, if something really resonates with you, we always post these every Wednesday on our, on our lit yoga site. So you can share that across Instagram. Um, maybe you can watch it on YouTube, our lit yoga, yeah. uh, YouTube, you, you will actually see us. Bye. <laughs> all right. We love you. Pulling for you always. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.